We're going to, this will be the last talk we're doing in our series on how we walk out the abundance that Christ has made available to us. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And for a couple of months now, we've been talking about what does that look like? And one of the ways we, we, one of the things that we've talked about is that you actually pull the kingdom of God through your life. You, you pull the fullness of God through your life when you're walking in God's word, when you're walking in his purposes for your life. And one of the ways you pull kindness and joy and life from God through your life is very simply by extending small gestures of kindness and grace to each other. It's remarkable what God can do with the smallest gesture of kindness. He can open doors that no man can shut with the smallest gesture of kindness on your part. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. In his uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren said this. I'm quoting him a lot today. He said, what matters not is the, du- what matters not is the duration of your life, rather the donation of it. And bringing pleasure to God is something we call worship. And anything that we do that brings pleasure to God is called worship. Last week, I, um, we talked about Naaman out of 2 Kings chapter 5. And smack dab in the middle of the, the narrative of Naaman, there is a little girl. There is a little girl, a little Jewish girl who was kidnapped by the Syrian army. They would run raids on the nation of Israel. They would, and, 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 and they took this little girl and they took her and they captured her and they made her a slave. And somehow this little girl ends up working for the commander of the Syrian army. He, and she ends up working in his house and she is the commander's wife's maid. Okay. We don't know her name. We just know that she's a little girl, all right? And Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army, and and he's a big man. He has great power, authority. He's a man of courage and strength. But Naaman was a leper. And that was a secret that had to be held and that was a secret that could not get out because if anybody found out, if his, if, his, if his secret got out and if it went public that he was a leper, he would lose everything. Because he was a leper in a day when lepers were put in caves and in colonies where they would rot together more quickly and die. And so the secret could not get out. Very few knew Naaman's secret. His wife knew, knew his secret. And the little girl knew his secret because she was his wife's maid. And when I was going through the story, I realized that Naaman must have been a good man. 
He, he was not only a man of courage and strength and all of that, but he must have been an honorable man. He must have been a kind man. Because we find out, right, this little girl is taken away from her family, taken away from her nation, taken away from her language, taken away from her culture. She's brought to this hostile nation. She's placed in this house. And she cares deeply for her master. Verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 5 says, And she said to her mistress, that's Naaman's wife, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. You see, she knew, the little girl knew there was a man of God. There was a man that God healed through, and he is in Samaria. And she says, how I wish my master would go to Elisha. And, and because if he went to Elisha, I know God would heal him. And the truth of the matter is that little girl, she could have withheld what she knew. Payback. She could have withheld what she knew and let him rot to death. But she didn't. She could have withheld what she knew and she could have held what she could do. But when you hold back on what you know you to do, God holds back on what he can do. When you hold back on what you can do, God holds back on what he can do. And so this little girl tells Naaman about Elisha. She tells him. And in her small act of mercy, she becomes mighty. Because this small, gentle, little act of mercy becomes the key to Naaman's healing. Not only that, it actually becomes the key to his salvation. This act of mercy leads Naaman to know the one true God. This simple act of mercy brought God pleasure. And this simple little act of mercy was fragrant worship to the Father. One little act of mercy. So when you give to each other what you know to give, that is worship. When you share, David Roos was here a couple weeks ago and, and he said that the, the, the entire economy of the early church was sharing. It's one thing to give somebody who needs a car a car. It's another to share that car with them. I'd rather give them a car than share mine with them. But the whole first century church was a culture that shared. And when you share what you know, what you, what you can share, it's called worship. And when you, when the small act of serving is done where you can serve, it's called worship. About 25 years ago, um, I was speaking in a conference in Toronto. It was a youth conference. And that weekend, a storm blew in, and it shut the airport in Toronto down for three days. Okay, it's an enormous airport. You can imagine the, the chaos. And I was personally stranded in that airport for two of those days. And the, 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 the entire airport, there's so much stress and tension, it's tangible. And I just wanted to get away from all of it, and I found this little nook somewhere in the corner of the airport where there are a few chairs that were really comfortable. I claimed one beside this elderly couple. They were well, in their, well into their 80s. 
And I sat there and I could tell that they were really troubled. I could tell they were in pain. But I didn't want to pry into their pain. And so I just read. I needed a cup of coffee. And so I simply turned to them and I made a gesture. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get uh, coffee. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I buy you something to drink? It's a very simple gesture. It's not Mother Teresa-ish. You would have done it. I just wanted them to hold my chair, actually. That was kind of what I was going for. And, uh, and so it wasn't even terribly uh, selfless of me. And, uh, and I came back with coffees. And it's amazing. Food has a currency, a value that is incredible. You know, uh, my first year as a high school counselor, I couldn't pay kids to come in and talk to me. My second year, I put couches in the office, I, and I put a fridge in the office, and I got, to, I got day-old muffins, and I filled it with pop. I'm telling you what, you just put pop and muffins on the table, and, and all of a sudden, people will tell you everything. Put food on the table, they will open right up. And I brought coffee, and we sat down, and we started to talk, and I found out this precious couple had flown in. They'd been sitting there for a day already. They'd flown in from Scotland for their grandson's wedding. And they, because of the storm, they missed their connection flight. And they were missing their grandson's wedding. That was happening the day that we were talking. And I asked them about their grandson. And I asked them about their kids. And they began to share their entire life. And for two days, we were inseparable. For two days. I had no idea, that, like, like the, the, the sense of presence that we shared together until they got on a plane two days later to go back to Scotland, having not seen any of their family, having not gone to the wedding, having missed it all. Only one that is there waving them goodbye is their new adopted grandson, <laughs> as I saw them off to their... And they got on the plane, and it was only then that I realized the presence that we had shared. Only then do I realize how incredibly powerful God's presence was. I was their coffee boy. I was their, their paper boy. I was their flight information retrieval boy. I was all of these things to them. But we, there was something. We, we, we spent two days together. We had koinonia. We had community, and God was smack dab in the middle of it. The smallest... If you want to write something down, write this down. The smallest act of kindness will open a door that the greatest intention could never. That's good, isn't it? I wrote that. I'm, I didn't even jack that from somebody. I wrote that. That would be my first official authentic thought. I mean, that's the first one I just... I, and I probably heard it from somebody, but I, the smallest act of kindness can open a door that the greatest intention will not. I forgot about the conference, but I've never forgot those old people. Rick Warren said this. This is so good. You'll love this. I, I, hope, we, I hope I put this on the slide. The best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time, and the best time to love is now. Is that great or what? I'm going to say it again. The best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time, and the best time to love is now. 
Do you remember in, um, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus, is, is, he, he says something that's so strange. It's very strange. He said, by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples or that you love me. He says, when you love one another. Is that not strange? That's a very strange thing. Because he should have said, this makes more sense. People will know that you love me when you love me. Doesn't that make sense? That makes more sense. Love me. And then they'll know you're my disciples. But he didn't say that. He said you, they'll know that your worship of me will be seen when you love them. That's more difficult than just lifting your hands and singing louder. Jesus is talking about loving each other as an act of worship to him. I want to give you two very practical ways to do that. The first thing is that when you give your time to each other, it's an act of worship to him. When you give your time to each other, it's an act of worship to him. Because time is really one of the most precious gifts that we have to give, isn't it? Because we only have so much of it. It's a limited resource. And when you give your time to somebody, you're giving them a piece of you that you'll never get back. That, you'll never have that moment again. Your time is your life, and that's why it's your greatest gift that you can give to someone. 1 John 3 says, children, love should not be just in words or in talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. Very tangible way to spell the word love is T-I-M-E. It's your time. And when you give your time to each other, it's an act of worship. When you buy coffee for someone, it's an act of worship. When you take time in your day to smile at someone, it's an act of worship. And the second thing is look for beauty in each other. Look for beauty in each other because you tend to see what you are looking for. Have you noticed that? You, you, you tend to actually only see what you're looking for. And, and this is really, believe it or not, what you see when you are looking at other people says way more about you than it does about them. Eyes can only capture objects that are already seen in the mind. And the mind can only see things that are written on the heart. I'm on fire today. I don't know about you, but I am just, that is a great quote. That your eyes can only see what is captured on your mind. And your mind can only see what is written on your heart. And if all you see is criticisms. If, you, if you're critical about everybody, that's not their problem. That's your issue. That's the stuff that's written on your heart. And you're just projecting it on everybody. About a month ago, it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon and and a, and a fellow wandered in through the big garage door here. The worship team for the night was uh, practicing. And, and I, I instantly, what was written on my mind, the, the image or the object on my mind was that this is a street person. It was a really hot day. He was wearing layers of clothing and he was fairly disheveled. And he wandered in and you could tell it was the first time he's ever been here and he he went right for the couch and he sat down and he just listened to the band play. And then Bobby Joe was at the, at the till, just getting things ready in the coffee area. And he went up to the till, so I went, I wanted to just figure out what's going on here. And he asks her for a soda. 
and then gives her a nickel. And um, she was so gracious and, and with him, and she gave him whatever he needed. I kind of uh, got busy, and he disappeared before the, when the night was over. Well, the next Sunday night, I'm getting out of my car, and here he comes shuffling up the parking lot. And again, all I see is a street person that's going to try to get free soda again, right? He walks up to me, and in a pure, intelligent, and clear voice, he says, Good afternoon, Pastor Ed. So nice to see you. And there was such innocence in his voice, and I just thought, what? <laughs> and so him and I walked in here together, and he goes right to Bobby Joe. I think he's got a crush on her, to be honest with you. And he orders another soda. And I'm staying close because I just want to make sure that he at least has a nickel. You know what? But this time he pulls out a $10 bill. And he pays for a soda. So my, you know, my, my images, my, 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 the pictures are changing. And then he does something that blows me away. He gets a soda and he takes the change and he walks over to the donation station and he puts it in the offering. The rest of it. And then he comes over to me and he says, Pastor Ed, I'm so happy. I got to give in the offering today. And, 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 and the gals in the coffee area are so good to the worship teams. They, they put pizzas together and they, and they actually they just put them in the oven. And then, they, and then they serve the worship team pizza because they've been here practicing all afternoon. And the, there's a knock on the door and guess who's bringing all the food and the pizza and the beverages in? Our new friend. And the filter changed in my mind. He isn't a street person. He's a beautiful person. He's a beautiful person. I just couldn't see it because I had such a prejudice. I had such a picture in my mind of who he was. Your eyes can only see the objects that already exist in your mind. And your mind can only see what is written on your heart. If you're looking for flaws... You will find flaws. But if you're looking for flaws, it's fundamentally because that's what you see in your heart. If you have, if your heart is skeptical, you'll have a cynical eye. And if your eye is skeptical, then you're predisposed to seeing, being critical of others. And if you're looking for something to criticize, I promise you'll find it. The room is full of opportunity to criticize. But when that which is written on your heart is beauty, when your heart is captivated by his beauty, then you begin to see his beauty in everybody. And when, when your heart is captivated by his grace, when that is what is written on your heart, it's what keeps you breathing through the day, then you begin to look at everybody through that lens and see his grace in their lives as well. And this is, the, this is the, 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 the simple act of small gesture of kindness that I'm calling you to. Is that, well, first of all, when you see beauty in each other, that is one thing. Where you move that to a thing that God can fill with his fullness and his life and his love is when you speak to what you see. That's the gesture of kindness I'm calling you to.
It's not enough to actually notice somebody. It's another thing altogether when you see something in them that's beautiful and strong and redemptive and kind, and then you speak to it. And I promise you this, what starts out as a very small gesture, God can fill. I did this for eight years as a high school counselor. I walk through the halls and, and, and high school students are, they are, oh, the guys are idiots and the girls are mean. <laughs> they kill their wounded, they eat their dead. They, it is a very tough crowd. But I purposed that I would wander the halls and I, would, I became incredibly intentional about looking for something that I could pull on, something good, something beautiful. And sometimes it was just the way they were dressed that day and sometimes, but I would find something and I would stop and I would pull on. I'd say, wow, you look especially fresh today. Well, that ax smells fantastic on you. You know what? <laughs> Isn't that last week's ax? I think you've just been layering it, haven't you? Well, good for you. You know what? You're masking your stink beautifully. I just think that's so good. And you find things, and I can't tell you how many times. So you do that for eight years, and you leave a school better than you found it. You do that for eight years, and people can't help but get better. You begin to basically call them to the best version of themselves. That's what you're doing. You're calling them to the best version of themselves. And what happens so many times, I would start just, just, just like the... the, the the little girl in, in Naaman's home, she began with a, a forgiveness, an act of mercy, and it led to something really profound that God did. So often those little words of encouragement and affirmation connected to what I chose to see in them would start out as a small gesture and end up as a prophetic word that's delivered over them in a way that they didn't even know. They just received an impartation. It starts out as, a, as a, a word of kindness and a word of grace, and it ends up actually declaring something over their lives. Not every time, but sometimes. One of my all-time, by the way, I'm going to call the band up. Um, one of my all-time favorite Tony Campolo stories, and, and he is such a brilliant storyteller. The thing is, is he lives these out. Is one day he is walking down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, and he was wearing a very expensive suit. And a bum was shuffling towards him, and his clothes were filthy. But the thing that stood out about this person, above everything else, was his beard. It went all the way, halfway, like down to his waist. And the thing about his beard that caught your attention was that there was dead and rotting food stuck in his beard. And the man was shuffling along, and he was, he was drinking from a cup of McDonald's coffee. And when he passed Tony Campolo, they, they, they made eye contact, and the man stops. He goes, hey, mister, you want a drink of my coffee? And Tony looks at the cup where his lips were. There's a, a black ring where the dirt from his face touched the liquid. And Tony goes, yeah, no, I, I think... And then he sees an opportunity. He sees a moment. And he stops and he goes, sure. And he takes a drink of coffee. And he says to the guy, you know what? Uh, what's gotten into you today? You're sure being generous. To which the man replies, he says, well, you know, when God gives you something really good, you should share it. 
And Tony, he's, he's thinking, you're good. You're good, because you know that I got money, and uh, you're, you're, you're going to share your coffee with me, and I'm going to share my money. And he, and, and he says, well, is there anything that I can give to you? Is there anything I can give to you? And he's already reaching for his wallet to, to give him some money. And the guy looks at him, and he says, yeah, actually. He says, uh, I, uh, you can give me a hug. And Tony's going, how about 20 bucks? You know, because <laughs> he... And he said, and there at noontime, in the middle of the business district, as professionals are walking back and forth all around him, he said, there is a man in a suit hugging a man in dirt. And the two stood there, and they hugged each other. And Tony Campola said, just like what I was talking about in the airport, he said, for years... He said, I could still remember the presence that I experienced when this man was holding me. He said, it wasn't until the hug was over that I realized that I was the one who needed the hug. And God had sent an angel down to Chestnut Street in Philadelphia and to hug me. Sometimes God needs you to do what you can do so that he can do what you can do for others so God can do for you what he wants to but he needs you to do what you can do. Do you remember when Jesus, he's got thousands of people following him. And he says to his disciples, I need you to give them something to eat. Do you remember this? And do you know what? He, he didn't say, I need you to fill them. He said, I need you to give them something. That's what he exactly said. I need you to give them something to eat. And the disciples, they actually did what they could do. And it was a very small gesture in the face of thousands of hungry people. They had five loaves and two fish. But they did what they could do. And when you do what you can do, you free God up to do what he needs to do, what needs to be done and what he can do. And God took their two fish and their five loaves and he did what God. Can you see why God doesn't care about your ability as much as your availability? He will take your pathetic encouragement and your pathetic gift of grace, however weak and small and awkward it is, and he will turn it into food for thousands. That's what he does. You know, they, they may have had the intention, anybody in the room who held on to their lunch, any of the disciples that hung on to it, God couldn't bless it. He can't bless your intention. He can only bless your action. And when you give, he gives. And when you release, he releases. When you forgive, he forgives. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let me pray with you. Father, you are beautiful. And Father, you of life how you long for us to experience your life your presence your fullness I pray that we would be a people father that have a keen eye to see opportunity 
to be generous, opportunity to be kind. I pray that you would, you, 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 you would give us eyes to see beauty in each other and then, and then the courage to speak to it so that we are changed, not so that the people are changed, but so that we are changed and become more like you. Thank you for your beautiful word, Lord. In Jesus' name.